It has been brought to our attention that depending on the platform that you listen to, you can no longer hear some of our previous episodes. Some of our favorite episodes. Some of the ones where people would reach out and say, hey, listen, I can't believe that you talked to insert whatever name here. And honestly, it makes us a little sad that you can't go back in time and have a listen because the stories were really incredible. We reference a lot of times, oh, we had a chance to talk with so-and-so in the past. And if you can't go back, then it's kind of just, oh. So we wanted to bring some of those guests, some of those former guests back into the spotlight. We're going to call it like a, a rerun, I think. A Why Me Project rerun. Do you remember those? I do. Back in the day, or you used to throw the tape into the VCR and <laughs> oh, we're dating ourselves. We are, but uh, a rerun was the opportunity to rewatch one of your favorite episodes. Now everything's so accessible. Well, we thought it was. Yeah, exactly. So without further ado, here's your Why Me Project rerun. I am so excited. You've been talking about this for a bit now. Yeah, well, for those who don't know, uh, I have uh, a lot of different loves, but my four favorite loves are with Fs. Faith, family, friends, and football. Mm-hmm. I've known you for 20 years, and that has always been true. And it was August of uh, 2011 when Sam was drafted onto my fantasy football team, <laughs> leading me to a championship and a victory. Sam, my friend, how are you? I'm good. And you still owe me for that. I need to get some kind of compensation, some kind of reward, even if it's just a trophy, right? Like, just give me something. Holly said I'm not allowed to talk football as much, so uh, we might have to do this after. After the call. After the call. Don't worry. We'll connect. I'll have my people reach out to your people, and that trophy will be in my house sooner so than later. That's so funny. That's so good. Oh, All right, dear. Sam, we like to ask this skill testing question because we never know where it's going to go. Who are you, and where did you come from? Yeah, so my name is Sam Acho. I am from Dallas, Texas. My parents are from Nigeria, actually. Actually. And so they were born and raised over there, came to America, and I've, I've been in Texas the last, I don't know, I was born and raised in Texas, so I've been in an NFL linebacker for the last few years, played for the Arizona Cardinals, Chicago Bears, last year played with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I just recently wrote a book called Let the World See You, How to Be Real in a World Full of Fakes, and I couldn't be more excited to talk about it. What brought your parents from Nigeria to the U.S.? Well, I think it was really opportunity. My dad was a, a, a pastor out in Nigeria. More than that, though, he was, a, he was going to school, super well-educated business guy, but he loved teaching the Word of God. And so I remember there were some missionaries, this is the, the story goes, there are some missionaries who came from America, they actually came from Mississippi, and they came to go preach to the people of Nigeria. And they saw this man, this young guy, standing on top of a bus, telling people about Jesus, right? This young Nigerian guy, and they're like, who is this guy? We need this guy to come over to America and tell, and tell us. And so anyways, that was kind of how my dad first came to America, and obviously super well-educated. He came, and he, I think he's going back and forth, and then had an opportunity to do school. And so he started going to school. Uh, when he went and became a doctor, a PhD in psychology, so he's a marriage counselor now. He brought my mom over as wow. well. And that's how they both, both came to America. And, and, that, and that was from Nigeria to Texas? Well, no, it actually started, they came to Virginia initially. So they first started in Virginia, and I was, as you can imagine, Nigeria is right next to the, close to the equator. Yeah. And so the weather is pretty hot. <laughs> and um, they came to Virginia and saw snow, and it was the whole, it was like, okay, what are we, they were going to Liberty at the time. Yeah. And it was like, dude, what are we doing here? So my oldest sister was born in Virginia. I still have pictures of her in the snow. And the rest of us, we were born in Texas. It was like, I think they were sick of it. You know, and more than anything, they had friends. <laughs> they had friends who were in Texas as well. And the friends were like, dude, why are you in this miserable cold weather? Come to, come to the warm. 
and come hang out with us. So I think that's how it happened. You're talking to the wrong people. We're Canadians. We would love w- uh, weather from Virginia. <laughs> I know, but that's the thing. Like, And I've been in Chicago, right? Like, I'm actually back in Chicago now where it's about 30-something degrees and raining and about the, it's cold. And so... I think, and I and I and I've been in Texas for a bit, and I just got back to Chicago. And people are looking at me like, "Dude, why are you going back to this weather?" And I don't know. I think Canada might be a good place for me as well. <laughs> so you you have a dad who's a pastor, and he has this faith. Then it, obviously, then you grow up with a faith as well. Absolutely, yeah. My, both my parents. So my my my, my mom, she's uh, madly in love with Jesus as well. And you can tell it by her character and just by the way she lives her life. And my dad, not only is he a pastor, he's a, you know, he's a marriage counselor. He helps people kind of get their marriages back on track. He's a business guy, but he also loves the Word of God and has this passion for seeing the church come together, right, this multicultural church. And so we grew up in a household. We were worshiping God in the mornings and praying and reading the Word of God, and that's how I grew up. But my faith didn't really become my own probably until about college or so. What I mean by that is a lot of people feel like, well, my, my parents are Christians, so I'm a Christian. I'm dad, you know. And it's like, well, no, like, yes, I, I, I was baptized at a young age, and, you know, I would, you know, go to church, but I didn't really start living out my faith until college, when it was really an opportunity to make a decision, am I going to follow God, or am I going to just do my own thing? What was that um, turning point when you were like, no, I need to make this decision for myself? Yeah, I think it was, it was probably my freshman year, maybe the, towards the end of my freshman year, when, you know, people oftentimes say, you go to college, and you can be whoever you want to be. Nobody knows you. No one, you know, you can, you can, it's like a fresh start and you're on your own. And so I remember going to college and, you know, it's funny enough, my parents had, you know, we had to talk right about responsibilities, about, about sex, about, um, about like being faithful, not only to, to like your responsibilities as a, as a, as a student athlete, but also to God, right? It's like, Hey, I know my mom and dad are like, I know we're not going to be there with you, but Hey, like you got to honor your body right? It's a temple of God, right? You got your reputation is super important, right? So not only like, you can't just go out and be eating whatever, drinking whatever, sleeping with whomever. Mm. That's not how we operate. And obviously, it's going to be your decision. It almost left me with this idea of like, oh, wow, God really is sovereign. And so right around my freshman year, I actually met a guy named Trevor Walker, who was a backup quarterback, a walk-on quarterback. And he saw me in the elevator and he was actually reading the word of God. And he said, hey, man, you want to come read with me. And for me, I was shocked because, yes, I love Jesus, but to be this open hmm. on a college campus, in a college dorm, reading your Bible by the elevator where thousands of people are going, you know, this is a pack of 50,000 students at this campus, right? And so for me, I said, oh, wow, maybe I can live this thing out. And so me and Trevor, we had a couple other guys on our team at the University of Texas, really tried our best, if you will, to, to live out our faith. And of course, we were stumbling through it, right? We were trying to figure it out, making mistakes, going left and right, but um, God was with us the whole time. If there's two things that I know about Texas, it's faith and it's football. When did you come to the realization that you had a love for the game? Man, honestly, it's been growing. I didn't really love the game when I first started. Many people don't know this. My first year playing, I was 13, 12, 12 years old. And I only played because my younger brother started to play football. Now, granted, I played basketball and soccer and baseball and just all the sports. I think my parents wanted to get us out of the house and so we could stop breaking things. <laughs> and so we were in all these different sports. My brother, younger brother started playing football, and he was scoring all these touchdowns and doing amazing. And, and, and so I said, oh, I want to play too. And so I went out to play football the next year, and I was a bigger kid. You know, I was, I was you know, 200 pounds in the seventh grade. So I was wow. a big, big, yeah, I was a big kid. And so what I realized is that they had rules for for weight classes essentially saying okay hey sam i know you may want to go play running back like your brother and go score all these touchdowns but i need you to go play offensive line and go block because 
it, essentially the weight restrictions, but also people don't understand is offensive line is is essentially the worst position in football. You get no credit <laughs> at any time. The only time they the only time they call your name is if you make a mistake. That's literally the only time. Holding number seventy five on the offense. So my first year of football, I had to play O line, and I hated it. Well, fast forward after playing, I switched over to defense the next year and and started to grow more and more. But once again, it wasn't really until right before my junior year, maybe my senior year in high school, I went to a football camp at USC, University of Southern California. And that's when I was discovered by Pete Carroll, who was the head coach at the time. And and that's when I really first realized, oh, wow, I may have an opportunity to go play football football in college. So you graduate high school. Was the dream to play for Texas or where did you want to go? It wasn't even a dream to play football. That was the thing people don't understand. <laughs> like I, I was, I was, our parents are, it's all academics in our household. It's academics and follow Jesus, right? Give it your all, honor your family, honor God, you know what I mean, period. And, 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 and get good grades. Get, get A's, all, only. And yeah. so my goal was an Ivy League. That was a thought. It was like Harvard or Stanford. I remember getting accepted to like Cambridge or somewhere like that over in London. And so my thought was to go to Ivy League and go to, you know, go get a really great education. Well, I went to that football camp, and, and that's when I realized, oh, wow, I could go to college for, for free, yeah. right? So not only for free, but also I could actually go play football and get an education and maybe, just maybe, have an opportunity to make it to the next level. I didn't think at the time I'd really go to the NFL. I was like, oh, it's, it's a long shot. Well, you never know. And so that was the first time I realized I could, I, it could happen. And then uh, I actually remember going on a mission trip to Nigeria, and um, there was – I was 17 or so. I went on this trip. I just remember being forever changed, right? My perspective changed. I just got this offer from USC. I told them no. I went on this trip. I come back, and every other school had heard that USC had offered me. Hmm. And so all of a sudden, I had offers from almost every school in the nation. So then it became a real deal of like, oh, I can go play in college. But it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go play in the NFL, right? That went until probably my junior year in college where I realized, oh, wow. I was seeing guys in front of me get drafted in the first round, and we were practicing together, and I knew what it took. And I had another mentor who said, hey, man, like this is doable. You just got to believe. And so at that point, junior year in college, I started believing. How supportive were your parents doing this, uh, through this, sorry, knowing that they wanted you to get a you know, good career, get a good education, and now football is kind of entering the scene? Yeah, Holly, it wasn't yeah, – yeah, they were definitely supportive, but I think for my dad it was more of an opportunity, right? It's almost like – you think about, you know, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. I think about my parents. Their heart's desire was not that we would go to the NFL. They didn't even really – they watched football, but they're like, yeah, this is not for us. I mean, it's not, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But when God opened up that door, it was like, bro, let's walk through this door. You know what I mean? Like, you never know. And so, yes, the door opened to go play football. Yes, they were super supportive. But it wasn't only football. It was, hey, I need you to get great grades – and also do your best on the football field, and then just see what happens. I've asked, you know, how excited were you to play football? You weren't. How excited were you to, you know, it wasn't necessarily the dream for college. <laughs> then there's all this talk about you getting drafted. Uh, was there excitement about draft day and maybe then you going to the NFL, or were you still kind of like, ah, it's just a thing? No, it wasn't until, so there was definitely immense excitement about draft day, and it was, that excitement didn't really start until, like I said, I made that decision right around being 21 or so years old where I said, okay, I'm going to do this. You're right. I made a decision and my actions changed. I had a mentor, a friend who was a, a team doctor for one of the, the Washington football team, the team in Washington, D.C. And he was a family friend. He said, Sam, 
and I think he saw I didn't really believe in myself. I think that's what he saw a little bit. But he said, Sam, you have everything that it takes. You're big, you're fast, you're strong, you're motivated, you're dedicated. Only difference between you, and he's like, you're smarter than all the guys I know who I see in the NFL. He said the only difference between you and any of these guys is that they all believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were going to make it to the NFL. Hmm. So that, that's it. Just believe. And so I had that conversation. And I was like, really? Believe? He's like, believe. You know? And so <laughs> I had that conversation with him, and that was the moment where everything changed. From that moment on, there was not a doubt in my mind I would make it, right? Things that God had opened up too many doors. How was I at Texas? And now I'm going to be the starter, and we're, we're, we're going to go to the national championship. It was all these things. And I was like, oh, this can happen. And so at that point, I believed. Then draft day came. And that was uh, anybody who keeps up with any draft, but specifically the NFL draft, knows it's a stressful time. And for me, I was told if I really just, if I achieved in a lot of ways, right, you do well at the, at the NFL combine where you run your 40-yard dash, you do your bench press and all the things. And if you do well there, your draft stock will increase. And if you do well at the senior bowl, which is like an all-star game, your draft stock will increase. And if you do well at your pro day, which is a time where all the coaches and scouts that come to your university and they watch you, they watch you or they interview you. If you do well at those three events, your draft stock will rise. Now, it's already a mid-round selection. There's seven rounds in the NFL. They already, they already projected me, excuse me, to go in the you know, fourth, fifth, third, fourth, fifth. And so I said, okay, if I do well, maybe my draft stock will rise. I was nervous. I was anxious. Well, I went and I, 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 I won MVP of the Senior Bowl. Right? So I said, okay, great. It's rising. I went and I set a record at the NFL Combine. Like, wow, great, it's rising. I went, I did my interviews at my pro day, did amazing. And I was like, great, it's rising. So draft day for me, I thought I was going to be a first-round pick. I was like, <laughs> this is it. Like, I was like, I did it, I did it. And then the first round is on a Thursday. And so Thursday I got all my friends together through this big party, got my family, family friends, everybody's there, and nobody calls. <laughs> no, team, no team called me. And then at that point I'm like, okay, it's okay, it's okay, because my agent – that told me I'll be at worst a second or third round pick. And I've talked to three or four teams who have specifically told me they're going to draft me in the second round. So I said, okay, I'll be fine, right? Because the second, second round and the third round are on Friday, right? So Thursday is the first round. Friday is rounds two and three. And so I'm like, okay, this is my day, right? Everybody come back over. We're going to have a big party again. <laughs> this is my day, right? And I think you could probably see where the story is going. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody called. Actually, check that. My phone did ring at the very end of the third round, and it was my agent. So I'm thinking, okay, good. And it was my agent in Baltimore, the Baltimore Ravens, who was a team that really showed a lot of interest in me. They were on the clock ready to pick. And so I pick up the phone. I see my agent's calling, and my family starts freaking out. Yeah, yeah, we did it. We're going to Baltimore. And I'm talking to my agent like, hey, man, you know, kind of small talk. And I'm like, hey, what's the deal? What's going on? After kind of listening and waiting for a little bit, like, are we going to Baltimore? And he looks at me, or and we're on the phone, right? But it was as if he looked at me, and he said, Oh, Sam, I, I wasn't calling because you got drafted. He said, I was calling to see if you had heard anything from any team. Oh. I said, what? I was <laughs> devastated. I said, what do you think? You're my agent. I'm not supposed to be, I don't know. He said, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I thought you were going to be higher. Everybody told me you are going to be higher. I guess we'll just wait and see. So at that point, I was, I mean, I remember going up to my room that night just, just being in tears. Hmm. just crying because not because I didn't get drafted in the first round or second or third. It just felt like everybody had been lying to me. That's just what it felt like. It felt like, cause my agent had told me these coaches had told me everyone had told me uh, everyone except God, right. Had told me. And so I remember just crying and, and just crying out to God saying, God, you know, my heart, 
you know my heart. You know I don't care about the fame or money or success. If anything, I want to give you I want to give you glory with this platform. So I said, God, just give me an opportunity. I don't care where I get drafted, if I get drafted, I'll be a free agent. I'll just try out. I don't care. Just give me a chance. And so go to sleep, wake up the next day, and that was the the, the four, you know, Saturday is, is rounds four through seven. Rounds four, five, six, and seven, then also the people who don't get drafted. And I remember not even wanting to turn on the TV because at that point I didn't didn't really care. And I go downstairs, we ordered some food, and uh, my family was there. We just had actually just finished praying for the meal. And all of a sudden, uh, the home phone rings, and we had a caller ID, and it said Arizona Cardinals. And so uh, the 103rd pick in the NFL draft, really the fourth pick of the, of the fourth round, I was drafted to the Arizona Cardinals. What did that moment feel like? It was definitely mixed emotions, Holly. I, I, was, I was excited. When they called, because I, you know, I was excited because I've got a call, but I still wasn't sure, right? Michael Bidwell, who's the owner of the team, he called me and said, hey, Sam, congratulations, you're going to be a Cardinal. But I was watching the TV, and I saw that the Cardinals hadn't picked yet, and they still had one or two people before they picked. And so I'm like, okay, well, thank you. I'm excited. He's like, okay, well, we're, we're excited for you. Um, we're going to hang up the phone now, or we're going to, you know, you know, congratulations. And I remember saying, hey, is it okay if, we, if I just stay on the line so I can see you guys draft me. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm ser- because I was like, everybody's told me all this other stuff. So, I mean, I know this sounds good, but yeah. can I, you know. They said, Sam, um, we, we actually need to hang up the phone right now. The NFL office is calling us. They're asking us who our pick is, and we need to tell them that it's oh, you. that's funny. <laughs> and so, for me, it was mixed emotions. I was, I was relieved more than anything. I wasn't excited. Um, I was relieved. I was exhausted in a lot of ways because I've been working. For years, right? At that moment that my junior year, 20, 20 or 21 years old, I've been working almost every single day for this moment. And then the moment came, and I was relieved because it said, okay, this work paid off. But it was still like, okay, now i got to turn the page into the new chapter. Now I have to go and prove it all over again, right? And that's the difference between, like, that's one thing I love about God, right? Because it's like, God's like, hey, I see the best in you. Before you even knew you were going to make it to the NFL, I already loved you. Whether you made it or not, I already was for you, right? And that work that you put in that you say, I did, I did, I gave you the desire to do that work, you know? And so for me, it's like it was a brand-new chapter where I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew I had just given it to God. I just, I literally, in that point, I was like, God, I don't care. I just want to give you glory. So just give me a chance to give you glory. I don't care what way, shape, or form. And so I felt like that opportunity was that chance. Well, when it comes to, and I mean, now you're, you know, you're, you're drafted, you're in the NFL, you see at the beginning of football games, you see at the end of football games, people gather around, they're praying with one another. Is it difficult having a faith in football when there's all these other things like money and temptation and egos? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny. That's that one of the hardest things, eh, the hardest, the hardest external battle I ever had was being a Christian in the NFL. And here's what I mean by that. It was external and it was internal. People who know me know that I'm, 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 I'm kind and I'm you know, sensitive and all these things, but I'm a fiery competitor. <laughs> like I, I, I that's just how God wired me. I'm super competitive and not to the point where I'm like throwing the ball and doing the, you know what I mean? But I just, I just really like to win. And so I'd be in practice and we'd be going against each other. And, and all of a sudden somebody pushes me or I push them. We get into a fight or an argument. And all of a sudden, after practice, they were like, Acho, Acho, are you fighting? I thought Christians were supposed to get angry. Are you mad right now? Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, was that, a, was that a curse word I just heard from you, Acho? 
Oh no! And mind you, it wasn't because I didn't cuss. I was like, "Oh no, did I?" I'm so serious. I'm so serious. And so I'm like, "No." So like, the hardest battle for me was, and that's really where that's a lot of what this book talks about, like letting the world see you, how to be real in a world full of fakes. For me, it was putting on this mask of pretending that I didn't get angry. Right? What is, what is a Christian supposed to look like for you guys? Supposed to be a guy who's always nice and oh no. Uh, it's okay. No, but I'm a guy. I'm a guy. I love God wholeheartedly, and I, and I will compete my tail off as well, right? And I will love you through the process, you know. And so for me, that was the hardest fight because I didn't know how to respond when when I would get angry or get into a fight with somebody, which is normal in football. You push somebody, it's adrenaline, right? You push, they push. All right, cool. Three seconds later, you move on and you're hugging and best friends. But they would say, "Oh, oh, oh, oh," and so you know, for me that was a battle until I realized like my true identity is, Hey, I need to be an example. I'm not doing it for them. I'm not trying to please anybody. I need to be an example. What I mean by that is no one's going to listen to me if I'm just like an average football player. Hmm. And that's kind of like crass in some ways. But one thing I saw is that I could, I could tell everybody about, you know, all my teammates about Jesus. Oh man, God is good. He's going to be faithful. But if I'm on the bench, I'm not playing well. They're like, I don't want to know about that guy. You know what I mean? They want to know. They want to know two things. One, okay, the success piece, right? Wow, you're playing well, and you love God. But also the devastation piece. I remember breaking my leg and still saying, "Yeah, God is good," all the time. I remember tearing my pec and still saying, "Yeah, God, God is still good and still with me." Not just now, but through the process. And yes, I mourned. Yes, I cried. Yes, I mean that's part of the process. But for me, showing my teammates who Jesus was 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 an everyday process. It wasn't just a, let me preach to you on a Sunday or whatever. It was every single day. You're going to see my good. You're going to see my bad. You're going to see my flaws. You're going to see my failures. And you're going to see a God who loves me through it all. You had mentioned it. It is out uh, already, but to let the world see you, how to be real in a world full of fakes. Then why write the book? You have so much going on in your life. Why did you decide to sit down and put pen to paper? The reason is simple. I felt, it just felt as if, you know, I'll start here. I, 2018, I just signed a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract. So I made it in the NFL's eyes. I was going on my eighth year in the NFL, and it was kind of I was living a dream. Multi-year, multi-million, you did it, right? And so on the outside, things look good. On the inside, I was struggling, hmm. struggling. My, I've been married for a couple of years, and, and I, my marriage wasn't – I wasn't loving my wife well. I had – Two kids at the time we were expecting a third. I wasn't loving my kids well, right? I got family, friends. I wasn't loving anybody well, nor was I loving myself well. And so I remember signed this contract, and we were a week before we were ready to start training camp. A week before we are going to get back to football. I have a three-, four-month offseason. Now we're about to go back to be full-time football. And I remember sitting down with a friend. And I remember it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a dark place in a lot of ways. I remember just, how do I, what, is this, what does it mean to be faithful? You know what I mean? To... To, to my wife, to my family, to the gifts that God has given me. What is, how do I, I can't, how do, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I remember sitting with a friend and saying, hey, man, I think I just need to football to start. Once I get back, give me a week. We start football in a week. Once I get back to football, then everything will be okay. Right? Then I'll be back focused. I'll be with my teammates, my friends, accountability, all the things. And, and he looked at me and he's, and I remember actually I started to cry as I'm sharing this with him because I, I just didn't know what to do, where to go. And he looked at me and he said, Sam, if that's how you feel right now about you need to get back to football, he said, I'm afraid of what happens when football ends for you. I'm afraid of what happens when you retire. I look up, I'm crying, right? Like crying, real tears. And he looks at me and he said, oh, by the way, it's nice to see you, Sam. And I'm sitting there like, what, 
what do you mean? It's nice to see. Like, do you see? Did you hear what I just told you? Do you see? What, what do you mean? And he said, it's good to see that you're human. He said, the last, I've known you for 10 years. In the last 10 years I've known you, I've never seen this side of you. I always see the put together, the million dollar smile, the suit and tie. I've never seen this side. It's nice to, it's nice to see you're human. And he said, he said, hey, you never know. He said, maybe God is writing a book in your life, and you may only be on chapter two. And I'm sitting there like, dude, you must be nuts. If you know what I've been through and this is chapter two, like you have to, you, you're nuts. And he actually recommended that I go, he said, maybe you go talk to a, a therapist, talk to a counselor, talk to somebody. Uh, he had just finished meeting with a, with a guy doing a, something called a life plan. And so I said, yeah, I'd love to talk to somebody. And so he put me in touch. So that day we were supposed to report to training camp, multi-year, multi-million dollar contract. Now I'm officially the starter. I'm the guy. It's my team. It's my season. We reported training camp that evening. That morning, I'm sitting in a counselor's office for the first time in my life. And I walk into his office. I'm nervous as all get out, trying to figure out what to do, what to say. I walk into his office. I'm expecting to just, you know, be in and be out. Let me say what I need to say and, and be done. And he looks at me and he says, Sam, i got a question for you. I'm like, go ahead. He said, what do you do when you get angry? And I looked at him and I said, well, I just, I just don't get angry. He asked me and he said, Sam, I mean, come on, man. What, what do you do when you get angry? angry and i respond i said i just try not to get angry and he looks at me again he says sam everybody gets angry so what do you do when you get angry and the next thing you, you know i was i was in tears hmm. crying and it wasn't the pretty tears it was the ugly like <laughs> crying 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 hmm. and he looks at me and he says it's nice to see you sam so we talk about this book and what it means to let the world see you and, and how do you deal with your emotions and even being a Christian in a world where it seems like being a Christian, the word, the word Christian is just thrown around left and right. And even being a, 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 a whether you're an educator or you're a parent or you're a spouse or you're a, you know, a fitness instructor, like it's so hard to be real. And so you asked why I wrote this book. It started on this journey of being real. I remember sitting with this counselor, he said, Nice to see you. He said, oh, by the way, get used to hearing that. He recommended I started journaling and even listening to music, and so I did. So I, so that night I went to training camp, right? Multi-year, multi-million dollar contract, eighth season in the NFL. I go to training camp. We report, have a team meeting. I go, go to our dorm room, my dorm room, and I start writing. Just journaling and listening to music. And all of a sudden, as I'm journaling and listening to music, I start crying again. I listen to songs about God's love for me, songs about how he sees the best in me when everyone else around only sees the worst in me, and listening to music about, about just Jesus, right, and his goodness. And we're crying, and I, I go to sleep, I wake up the next, the next morning, and I go to practice, and we have a conditioning test, which is where you run 1,500-yard sprints. That sounds terrible. Yeah, exactly. You know I'd be crying. I'd be crying. Exactly. We all, we all be crying. So I finish, this, I finish the conditioning test. I go to, go to the locker room. Everybody kind of showered up. They went to the... They're already going to get meals. I was sitting down just by myself. And when my teammates walked in, and he sees me kind of dejected, and he says, hey, Acho, are you good? Are you okay? And usually I would say, yeah, I'm fine, or I'm tired, or it's been a long day. But this time I, I decided to be honest, let him see me. I said, you know what, man, I'm not doing okay. I'm not doing good. And his response, he said, well, hey, man, I, I've been there before. I don't know what's going on, but I know that look. He said, I recommend whatever's going on to let it out. Cannot keep that in. So now in a locker room in front of my teammates, I start to cry. And he looks at me. One of, the, one of the guys in the locker room had changed the, the music playlist to, but oddly enough, when he saw me crying, he changed the playlist. It happened to be the same songs I was listening to the night before. 
about God's love and his care for me. And as you can imagine, the spirit, the tears started to flow again. Another one of my teammates walked in as well and he saw me and usually I would have kind of hid again and not let him see me. But I just, I it was too late. He saw me as I'm sitting down crying that one of my teammates looks at me and he says, Hey, Ach, it's good to see you. So you asked where this book came about. It really came about from this journey of what it means to be seen. I know that I saw that when, I decided to be me and let the world see the real me, not just the pretty, good-looking, put-together, million-dollar smile, the, 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 the guy who goes through sadness and mourning and everything and feels pressure. When they saw the real me, I realized they received freedom to be the real them as well. What do you want people to get from this book? What do you want people to, as they're thumbing through the pages, that's going to pop out at them? Yeah, I think when you read this book, you'll understand what it means to be free. You'll understand that, yes, we all wear a mask, and sometimes we hide. I'm not right. Figurative masks, and yeah. we go into <laughs> hiding. Yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, we're all wearing masks. So, um, we wear these figurative masks, or we hide either literally or figuratively. I remember figuratively. I remember being a 13 year old kid getting made fun of it at uh, at a church service and going. I would go and hide in the bathroom stall. That's how like, I literally would go and hide so I wouldn't get talked about. And that was my literal hiding space. So as I grew older, 31, 32 years old, no longer was I hiding in a bathroom stall. But I would hide within myself. When I would get angry, I wouldn't show my teammates my anger. When I would, you know, be upset or sad, I wanted to have this good look. And so my whole desire for anybody to read this book is that they would realize what it means to be seen, known, and loved. My desire, I believe when you read this book, you realize that, number one, there's a God who loves you, who wants to know you, who already knows you already, but he wants to know you even better. And number two, I think I want people to understand that they are, you, when you read this book, you understand that you are worth getting to know. This is the Why Me Project podcast. So as you reflect over your life, were there any moments where you asked God, why me? Could have been in a valley where things weren't going well or in one of those mountaintop life experiences. Yeah, I think for me it was in college my first year. As I mentioned, I didn't know if I was cut out for the job in a lot of ways. And and it just seemed like things wouldn't go well. Even in high school at times, I remember walking around and something would happen, right? Something that I wasn't hoping for, I wasn't expecting, like in a negative way. And I would just say, I'm going to say to myself, like, why me? And why today? Like, that was a season of life where it was like, why me? Why did that have to happen to me? And then why did that have to happen today? And I remember just going through that season, that season, that season of why me and also why today? And really, honestly, not having great answers um, to that question. But also, I remember there now being in a new season of life where I'm understanding that a lot of what I went through back then was setting me up for where I am right now. It's like the fall when the leaves change, right? You've got trees and they're green and all of a sudden you see them, you start seeing them turning orange or red and, and yellow, right? The leaves start to change, right? And then they start to fall. And then as you all know, as we all know very well, the snow starts to fall and the snow sits on the branches. And if you've ever been outside, I'm sure we all have, and you've looked at the, the beauty of the snow on those branches, if those leaves were still there, the, the majesty of that snow wouldn't be able to emanate in our culture. So I say that to say sometimes the leaves have to fall off. Sometimes the leaves have to, leaves have to change in order for the snow to come. And yes, the snow comes, and you can play in the snow, you can stay inside, you can build a snowman, you can do whatever you'd like, but there's going to be a season where the snow melts and the leaves grow again. And so my desire, even for anybody in one of those why me phases, whether in a good way or a bad way, that you understand that God is a God of seasons, yes, but he's a God who never changes. So you may be going through a season, but he doesn't change. 
it's like I'm starting to learn more. I'm like, man, maybe, maybe, and I talk about this in the book, maybe God had me play in the NFL to show people, number one, you can't, don't stereotype NFL players. Right? People don't know I was one of the, maybe one of the top, top 20 smartest athletes in all of sports. You know, like I can recite Shakespeare and, you know, the, the Chaucer and all these things. And I love people and helping and all the things. So it's like, number one, maybe that's why, but also to teach other people, maybe but also God to teach me, hey, son, it's not always about what you think your capability is. Right. Let me carry you. I think that's the biggest thing, because there's so many times where I didn't think I was capable enough. And throughout the process, every single time God carried me. Right. My first year in college, got my first play of the game ever in college with a sack ever. Dang. And it wasn't. And you say, dang, but nobody blocked me. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody blocked me. I'm serious. Nobody bought me. I went and I sat. And and all of a sudden it was Andy Dalton, who's a quarterback for the Cowboys now. Right. We were both freshmen at the time. But, like, that gave me – God gave me the confidence I needed to say, hey, man, number one, you can do this, and number two, it's not about you. It's like that verse in, in – uh, I don't remember where it is right now. But it says, even when your heart con- – if your heart condemns you, know that God is greater than your heart, right? And God doesn't condemn you. And if your heart doesn't condemn you, then essentially you're good. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, like, it's pretty much like, hey, even if you don't think you can do it, God's like, I got you. And even when you can't think you do it, good. You can do it, then good. You can do it, you know. And so, and that was in college, uh, in the NFL. My first tackle, uh, my first play was a tackle on the kickoff team. Like, it was just God gave me confidence all throughout the time. And so that's, I think that's, that's like the whole why me story. It's like, it's not why me, because it's about me, but it's also about others. Look at this, though. I mean, you made the NFL, and, like, to make it into there is already, like, bananas. And then your brother then followed the same footsteps and also made the NFL. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and the crazy thing is, like, and, he, and we both played multiple years, right? He played, he played three years. I played nine years, right? Like, we both. And none of us. And it wasn't like a thing where my parents were training us at five years old and three years. All right, yeah. push up. Mm-hmm. No, it was like, dude, go to school. Get good grades. Honor God. Yeah. Right? In the opposite order. You know, you know honor God. But go to the bigger. And then God opened up the door. So people look at my dad, man, how'd you get two sons playing in <laughs> NFL? But it wasn't about him, right? He honored God, and he still does. He trained us up well. He disciplines us. He still teaches. I'm 32 years old. My dad is still teaching me stuff, right? I'm mm. still learning. That's the biggest thing. I'm like, I got three kids, and I got a, a, two boys and a girl. And it's like, man, how'd you do it? But you know, we know, I think as parents, what we need to do. But it's the fear. It's that fear. It's like our identity. We know. I feel like a lot of us know who we are, but we fear what people will think, or we fear of letting people down. Maybe we're ashamed, right? That's what my book really deals with. We are ashamed of something that we did or we think we did or we're guilty, right? And God's like, no, like, I'm not a God of, you know, there's the perfect love cast out all fear, right? Like, I'm not a God of shame or, 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 or fear. I love you. I'm with you. And I love you perfectly. Now, that's what I want people to, that's, you know, if anybody reads the book, that's what they're going to get when they read it. Your kids are how old? Five, four, and two. So have you have you thought about them then? I mean, if NFL was never really the dream for you, are, are you cool with them playing if that you know if God so chooses? Absolutely, absolutely. My five year old already is like, I want to go play football. You know, he watches all the games. And he, you know, so if he absolutely if he wants to, but by no means am I going to like force him. Now, I'm going to teach him right. If he, I want to teach him the things that I know and the moves and the skills and whatever you know. And then my and my 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 daughter is four. She. She's going to do, I don't know, she's going to do amazing things. So she's a, a beast in a lot of ways. I mean, she's a princess, but she's also like a, a warrior, um, you know. And then my, my so I don't know what she'll do. And my two-year-old, he's probably the most driven, not the right word, but like he just seems like he's a super dedicated little kid or whatever he's got going on. And so, um, yeah, if they want to, I'll absolutely let them. 
before we let you go, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, and no, it's not a football question because Holly's looking at me, but uh, <laughs> uh, Athletes for Justice, what, what is that and uh, your involvement with it? So long story short, I have a heart for people in need. My, my parents, I think it's from my parents. Uh, God gave it to me, but my parents started a nonprofit in Nigeria a couple of years, 20, 30 years ago where we go back, we do medical mission work in Nigeria. And so this idea of, and it's called, and that's called Living Hope Christian Ministries. We built a hospital out there a couple of years ago. It was amazing, right? But this idea of speaking up for those who can't speak up for themselves has always been big. And so a couple of years ago, I think if you all remember with Colin Kaepernick and taking a knee and there's this big, much ado about what's going to happen and what people are going to do. Well, the NFL essentially said, hey, players, if you all really care and you want to do more than just tweet about it, then put your money up. As in, if you donate money to organizations fighting social justice, we'll match that money up to $250,000 per team per year. And so we have players' money, though, right? It wasn't just players' money specifically. So I got some guys together. I said, hey, let's, let's match it. Let's match it, actually. And so two years ago, we raised this money, and it became this really cool thing. We raised almost a million dollars from players and coaches and staff to go towards organizations in Chicago that are, and we really you know, thought we were doing really good work. Well, fast forward to, and then right around then, me and my teammates started a nonprofit called Athletes for Justice. We wanted to keep the momentum going. So fast forward this year with everything that was going on specifically in America with George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery being killed and Breonna Taylor being killed and people seeking justice, seeking something. We said, man, what do we do right? as, a, as, as, as people of color, as black people in America or even around the world, right? Look what's going on in Nigeria now. Like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And so I remember just reaching out to a friend, one of the nonprofit leaders, and I said, hey, what do your, what do your kids need, right? In Chicago, we're in Chicago. What do y'all need? She said, honestly, Sam, we just need somebody to, to listen to us, to encourage us. And so we did. So I got together athletes from all the different teams in Chicago. Uh, we decided to go and sit and listen. And the Bears, the Bulls, the Cubs, the Blackhawks, the White Sox, every single team, the Chicago Scott, the WNBA team, every team. We sit and we listen and encourage the kids. But after that, we saw there was a need. There was a, in this area, there was only two grocery stores and 17 liquor stores. So we decided to raise some money and to buy, through Athletes for Justice, and to buy one of these liquor stores and turn it into a food mart. It's actually open and running to this day. I'm actually headed there later on today hmm. to go check out this food mart. It's called Austin Harvest. And so it's in this place it's called a on the west side of Chicago in the neighborhood called Austin. And what they're doing is we're providing community through fresh food. The book is available now. Let the world see you how to be real in a world full of fakes. You can uh, jump on the Insta at the Sam at show, my friend. Uh, I wish we had more time. I wish we could spend hours chit-chatting, but Holly says that it would be more about football, <laughs> and she's now shaking her head at me. But uh, appreciate you taking uh, some time and uh, sharing your heart. No, thank you so much. I really love being on with you all. Thank you for tuning in to an old episode, a past guest of our Why Me Project rerun. Something that we're starting now because there are so many episodes that we really did love and they've kind of disappeared from the digital world. And speaking of digital world, I did a little recon. There are at least nine different platforms in which you can listen to the Why Me Project podcast. Okay. So there's no excuses, but I mean, some of the main ones like Apple Podcast and or Spotify. And you can always head to our social media accounts to stay up to date as each and every Wednesday we have a brand new episode for Why Me Project. And you can also let us know if there's someone that you would like to hear on a future episode. At Why Me Project on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Why Me Project at Outlook.com. And of course, as always, FaithStrongToday.com. Yeah.